Hello everyone. I have no idea how to actually start a podcast, so just welcome to the Unscripted Faith Podcast, the place for Christian women to explore biblical insights, godly advice, have a sense of humor, and dig into godly instruction to help us get through these crazy times we're living in. I'm your host, Jessie T, and this is going to be awkward for me because it's my very first podcast and I have no idea if I'm talking to myself or not. But one thing I can't stand when I hear it on podcasts is small talk, so let's just cut straight to the chase and dig into today's topic, suffering. Yeah, I know, we all hate to think about suffering. It's definitely not what normal people would pray for, but there are some very valuable insights to glean about suffering and some things we need to clear up before we can dig into those insights, so let's go get started. One of the most misquoted scriptures or misunderstood Bible passages of all times is found in 1 Corinthians 10.13, which most people confuse with this idea that God will not give you more than you can handle. But that is not what this verse is talking about at all, and I want to clear that up for you. Here's what the verse actually says. It says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want to clear the meaning of this verse before we dive into the topic of suffering because it's so important that we do not confuse what's being said here. Even though the two topics, although they're different in scripture, they are intertwined in life experience. So I don't want to misuse or misquote the tools that God is using to accomplish the goals of what he's trying to teach us. This verse is talking about temptation. So think of desiring something that God has already said is a sin. Things like desiring someone else's husband, desiring someone of the same gender, being tempted to drink alcohol to excess and become drunk, feeling tempted to lie about something, someone, or a situation in order to fit in or avoid trouble. These are temptations, things that lead to sin. It's not talking about the idea of wiping all of our hardships and struggles, pain and persecution from our lives. In fact, if that were the case, that would be contradictory to what the Bible actually says about what our lives here on earth will be like as born again believers. The good news is, even if I just shattered or challenged everything you've believed about that verse, and now you're feeling hopeless, fear not. Because this verse is still beautiful because it is saying that even though we will be tempted, God will also provide a way out of that sin. What do you struggle with? Well, let's say that your biggest sin or biggest temptation is alcohol. And you're a mom of a special needs child who has just come home from one of those most wretched IEP meetings at the end of the year. And you found out just how useless and unproductive the staff and administration thinks your child is. But of course, they made it sound nice. Like, oh, your child is nice, but they're not going anywhere in life. Because that's how those meetings usually go. They've just laid out for you in no uncertain terms that your baby will never amount to anything. And that really only made you realize how much you're failing them as a mother. You feel terrible worthless, desperate, hopeless, and perhaps even guilty. In your emotional torment, you just want to cry yourself to sleep, but you've got to be available to your child in case they start having behavioral issues and hurt their other siblings. You need emotional support or some way to just get through these next couple of hours until your husband comes home. 
There's wine in the cupboard from the most recent holiday. It shouldn't even be there in the first place because it wasn't even yours to begin with. Your Aunt Becky brought it over the other night, and you are a recovering alcoholic. And you're also a Christian. And what would your friends think if they saw that sitting on the counter? You know, the Bible does say not to drink to excess, but you feel like you've been through an emotional boxing match with a heavyweight champion and you just had your butt kicked. The alternative is going to bed early, which your kids will simply not allow unless you completely neglect their needs. Plus, your husband won't be very happy if he gets home and there's no dinner for him after the long day that he's had. So what's it going to hurt if you just have a glass of wine anyway? As long as you don't get to the point where you feel like you're getting out of control. After all, that's what the Bible says, right? Don't drink to excess. Doesn't the Bible just say not to be drunk with wine? I mean, you're not planning to get drunk. You just want something to take the edge off this horrible day. You know, something to help you relax and turn you back into the good, fun mom again. I mean, one drink won't make you an alcoholic, right? So you look around. Kids are playing nicely outside. You reach for a long stem glass, pour yourself a little, give the glass a swirl and a sniff, ready to take a sip of that sweet saving grace. And then the phone rings. Startled, you answer the phone without even taking a look to see who it is. And of course, it's your husband who knows that today is your 10-year sobriety anniversary, and he's calling to congratulate you and see if you'd like to go to dinner at his favorite restaurant tonight. What just happened? Were you caught? Or was God providing you an escape from your temptation like he promised? When God provides us with an out, it's up to us to take it. Otherwise, we will cave into the temptation. And temptation never leads us toward anything righteous. See, Satan is a cunning adversary. He will only ever tempt us with the things that we truly want in our flesh. That will ultimately cause us to break one of God's commands. And if we're living with the Holy Spirit inside of us, then that thing that we just succumb to will bring us to a point of conviction within us. That's what temptation is. It's anything that we desire to do that we give into to satisfy ourselves that God has already said no to. And God promises that when you experience that, te that temptation, he will provide you with an out or an exit plan. That way you don't have to sin and Satan won't be able to mock you when you fail. Suffering, on the other hand, is entirely different. You'll be hard pressed to find a single verse in the Bible that says something like, Come unto me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you everything you ever wanted and make you super happy and make sure that you never have to suffer any tragedy or shame in your life. That promise just does not exist on this earth. That promise exists in the future, and it awaits those of us who are born again and are faithful to the Lord, trying to do what is right according to God Almighty. And even then, we don't necessarily get what we want. Our needs and desires become conformed to the mind of Christ. Therefore, we only want what God wants. And then those needs and desires are met by God himself, not by anything of our flesh or our desires that we think of ourselves. Our flesh will finally be conquered once we get to heaven. That's the hope that we have. The verse that I just butchered on purpose to make a point says, Come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Burdened and heavy laden. We are going to suffer and struggle with temptations and with sin and with 
hardships. That is just a given. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But that verse seems to be best suited for a couple of applications. And the one that we're going to do today will appeal to our feminine emotional sides. So let's go there for a moment and see what the context or application may be that we can apply. Why would we need rest? Or better yet, from what would we be needing rest? Is this verse promising us a life of ease if we just go to Jesus? A life free of burden, pain, and suffering? No. Neither the verse before it or after it seemed to indicate this at all. This verse, in its emotional sense, seems to be best suited to say, Bring your burden to me and I will share it with you. I will walk with you through the struggle you're facing so you won't be alone. And so that the burden will not feel quite as heavy as if you were carrying it all by yourself. The Bible does not say, come to me all who are burdened and I will carry it for you. And there are good reasons for that, which we'll untangle in a bit as well. The Bible is clear that we will face persecution and hardship. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. Notice it says after you have suffered, then he will restore you. And also notice that he says he himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. You know, how many times have we heard, especially women say something like, yeah, I'm struggling, but I'm strong and I'll get through it. I love this little nugget because I don't know about you, but it tells me that we don't have to pretend to be strong. In fact, we are not strong. We are weak. And that's why we give in to sin and temptation so often. We don't get strong until he makes us strong. And it's not really us that he makes strong, in my experience anyway. It's that he teaches me to rely upon his strength instead of my own. Until then, while we're on this earth, we are weak and we are prone to sin and to temptation. And that's okay. There's a beauty in this idea of weakness that few really like to talk about, but we will by the time we get to the end of this talk today. I want to keep showing you Bible verses that prove that suffering is our lot in this life so that we are not disillusioned. So here's another one. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This word persecuted refers to a special type of hardship that comes from being harassed, mocked, discriminated against, or otherwise treated poorly, all because of our faith in God. You want to know if you're living a godly life that pleases the Lord? How much persecution are you suffering because you're a Christ follower? It's funny, I used to wear my lack of persecution in my heart like a secret badge of honor, like somehow I had figured out how to love Jesus just enough that some people might possibly guess that I'm a Christian, but not enough to cause problems for myself. If that sounds like your thought process, I want to speak to you right now and tell you you're wrong. And it is not honoring to the Lord if you're living your life that way. There is no glory and there is no witness in just bumping along, hoping that people will figure out that you're a Christian and maybe even think that you're cool. What you are is a lukewarm Christian. And you know what God says about that? He hates it. So you need to stop. If you don't believe me, look it up in Revelation. It's in Revelation 3.15. God is clear about what he thinks about this behavior. And if you're like I was for so long, you better switch it up a little bit and choose this day whom you will serve. 
because the days are getting shorter, my friend, and time is running out. You cannot serve both God and the world. You need to choose one or the other. Christ died dramatically for you. Will you not live radically for him? Isaiah 43, 12 is one of my other favorite verses about suffering. He says, when you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. There are a lot of other verses on suffering, but the point is, if you are a Christian, if you have decided to follow Jesus, and I would add, if you're doing it in a way that pleases God, then you will face persecution and you will have hard times. And this is not a bad thing because we should not fear the wilderness or struggles in life. They're here to shape us and mold us. And yes, it hurts to go through the pain and trials, but friend, it is also so beautiful when you learn just how perfect and complete God is for you and how much he loves you, how merciful, gracious, and good he is, how wise, tender-hearted, and protective he is. I am convinced that it is only then that you will truly serve the Lord willingly, forsaking this idea that you must somehow appease the world to a certain degree, or even be perceived as cool, just so that people might somehow be attracted to the idea of following Christ. No, people will know that you are a Christian by your resolve and your steadfastness in serving and glorifying him, no matter what comes your way. Then and only then will they know that you're a Christian. But back to the idea of not loathing the wilderness in our seasons of life, too often we villainize the idea of struggles. That's where I was trying to go in the first place. In my own life, I've prayed for ease and comfort like most of you probably have. But what am I actually doing by asking God for this? Am I praying in the will of God if I'm asking him for something that he clearly states in his word will happen just the opposite of what I'm praying for to those of us who are living like bold believers? Did you know that it isn't always our sin that leads us to the wilderness? Sometimes God or the Holy Spirit leads us there. So should we really be despising the trials in our life if God leads us there? Or should we be looking for a greater purpose as much as possible? Look, I'm not suggesting that you separate your humanity from your good senses. I'm not even sure that that's possible. Trials cause pain. And pain causes tears, anger, frustration, and all sorts of other horrible things. Women were made more sensitive to emotions than men, generally speaking, and it would be impossible for us not to feel during these trials and times of desperation. But during trials and hardship, we also do tend to have moments of clarity. They may not last long, they may not come frequently, but every once in a while, we start thinking clearly. And those are the times to seek God's purposes. What is he teaching us? How is he growing us in this season? And who is he really trying to reach during these things that we're going through? All of that sounds great, but inevitably, when we suffer, we always call out to God, just like Job did, and we say, why? Why me? So why would God lead us to the desert places where we hunger and thirst for justice, righteousness, and relief? Would he lead us there just to suffer? Does he think it's funny? Is it some kind of sick joke? Matthew 4, 1 states, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
The fruit that I want us to extract from this verse is that Jesus was not led by Satan, but by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's also important to note that Jesus, aka the perfect, sinless God-man, who is the example that we are supposed to try to imitate, did not go to the mountain, the garden, the cross, or the wilderness kicking and screaming. Not once. The verse tells us that he was led, and that implies that even though Jesus surely knew, because he was God, what was going to take place, he went willingly. Do we go willingly into the wilderness of our own lives? I'm not saying that Jesus was happy about it. From reading this passage, we see that Jesus had deprived himself of food and water in order to be prepared for the spiritual battle with Satan that he was about to face. And I don't know about you, but I get cranky when I don't eat or drink. But what I'm trying to say is that fasting forces us to lay aside our literal fleshly desires and rely fully on God for everything, including our very sustenance. Some people who fast regularly say that the result of fasting is that it gets our feelings and thoughts in check and more in line with scripture, and it helps us to spiritually be closer to God. These two points are important in this story because Jesus, although both fully God and fully man, was separated from himself in terms of deity. And knowing that he would be tempted, Jesus shows us what to do when temptation strikes. One is to subdue emotions and fleshly desires. He chose to do this through fasting. Essentially, we're talking about wearing the full armor of God here. And when we do that, we know that the purpose of the full armor of God is to help us stand when we face the wiles of the devil. So by the time that Satan comes to tempt Jesus, he had already positioned himself in a close place with God as much as he possibly could. And I think this is a great picture for us to think about in terms of referencing back to Isaiah, where he says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Because we know that God never leaves us, but that doesn't always mean that we don't always feel his presence. And so that begs the question, what if we're going through a trial and we don't feel his presence? What does that mean? Well, God tells us in the Bible how to be close to him, but it's up to us to do the things that we must in order to maintain this close fellowship with him. If we're not doing these things consistently, the things that dress us in the full armor of God, for example, then we're more likely to feel distance from the Lord. Like a parent who is always watching over their young child on the playground as they test their boundaries and climb higher and higher, the good parent is there close by, either holding their child's hand or standing with arms wide open ready to catch their child in case they fall. But if the child's will and desire is so strong that despite the parent's warning, they climb too far or too high, they may suddenly look around and realize they can no longer see their parent. And they become afraid and they start thinking that their parent has left them. It's kind of how we are with God, right? So when you are going through a trial and you don't feel his presence, maybe you've gone too far. Maybe you're going in the wrong direction. Maybe you stopped for a moment looking to see where your parent is. Maybe you've taken your eyes off the Lord. Maybe we slowly compromise this Bible study time for that shopping trip, or we stop going to church for a few weeks because we've worked hard and we're tired, or we stop praising the Lord as much because we're just too stressed out. And what is there to praise him about anyway? Slowly but surely, these habits cause us to walk down a path that looks nothing like following Jesus and a lot more like following the world. 
Jesus knew not to stray far from the Father. So although he was both fully God and fully human in this story, he knew that to remain spiritually close to the Father, he needed to deprive his flesh of something that it relied on in order to wholly rely on God instead. And so he fasted, denying himself of the needs of his flesh, allowed Jesus to be spiritually primed and ready to face the temptations of the devil. Do you know what the first temptation was that Satan offered Jesus? It was food. After fasting for 40 days, don't you think Jesus was hungry? Can you imagine what went through our Savior's mind when Satan tempted him to turn the stones to bread? I'm not sure that in my human mind that I could have done that. I would have thought that it was probably a good idea to turn that into bread. But he didn't take Satan up on the offer. You know, Jesus could have also just said no when Satan asked, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But that's not what Jesus did. A simple no would have sufficed. After all, he's the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God. Saying no would have been simple. But instead of leaving it at no, Jesus quoted scripture to Satan to rebut his attacks on his flesh. And this is a second lesson to us to pull from the study today. The first was that Jesus deprived his flesh of something that he needed to survive. The second is that he countered Satan's temptation with scriptures. You say, well, I don't know many scriptures. I've just tried and I can't memorize scripture. Well, I'm going to hammer on this really hard because I know there's somebody out there that's like me and really needs to hear this. I was one of those people who sang that phrase out every time someone recommended to me that I should be memorizing scripture. I thought I was incapable of memorizing anything other than song lyrics, which as a side note is a good way to memorize scripture, but I've yet to listen to a hundred worship songs that cover every single scripture in the Bible that it might be useful for any life circumstance. But I digress. If memorizing scriptures by listening to the radio station is your way of doing it, that's fine, I guess. But it's like going to fix a broken down farm tractor with a chainsaw and a can of gasoline. In other words, you're limiting the tools or the amount of scripture that you can know for spiritual battle because you're only relying on the worship leaders on the radio to teach you what you need to know. It is going to leave you ill-equipped for spiritual battle when you need it. My recommendation is you learn scripture. So if you think that memorizing scripture is beyond you for some reason, I'm just going to tell you you're flat out wrong. And maybe you're simply like I was for a long time lazy. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but this is how I needed to be spoken to for a long time. And no one really had the guts to speak up to me about it. So I don't want to be guilty of the same thing. So if you're listening to me right now, even if it rubs you the wrong way to hear what I'm saying, maybe there's a chance that God wanted you to hear this podcast so that you can hear that maybe you need to dump all the excuses about scripture memorization, stop being lazy and just get to it. The truth was I didn't care to memorize scripture for like 20 years because I didn't see the value in it and I didn't feel like making the time to do it. We are capable of memorizing scriptures and we need to stop parroting the lie that we just can't do it. Satan is having a field day with his minions convincing Christians that we are all too dumb to be able to remember scripture. Let me give it to you straight. Even Satan and his demons know the scriptures better than we do. And if it's true that they are angels, once angels from the realms of glory, they are now fallen angels and they still know the scripture. So even if you're a backslidden Christian, even if you're not walking in the faith right now, if the demons can know scripture, you can too. 
For heaven's sakes, we humans are made a little lower than the angels, but not only that, we are made in the image of God. If we are the reflection of God, then shouldn't we be fully capable of memorizing scripture with a little bit of effort? I mean, Jesus kind of did come to the earth as a human being just like us and proved that he could memorize scripture. By the way, he didn't have Google and he didn't have a radio station singing Bible verses. He didn't even have a book. In fact, for generations, nobody had a book. The children for generations before us in our ancestry had to meticulously memorize scriptures that were passed down from one generation to the next until eventually it was written down. So really, we have no excuses not to at least try to memorize some scripture. And if you're like me, you might not always be able to quote the exact book and chapter the verse comes from. You might even mix it up a little bit or stutter over your words or mix up a couple of scriptures together like a word mash. Look, God's not asking you for perfection. In fact, it's not even a requirement for you to get into heaven that you memorize scripture. But it is a requirement for good, strong spiritual battle and growth if you don't want to be tossed around like a rag doll. And as we just established, you will find yourself in battle in the physical and spiritual realms. So you might as well just suit up because the scripture memorization is going to be a key aspect to putting on the full armor of God. Scripture helps us to discern what is or what is not from God. It is powerful, alive, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Scripture is the foundation of our greatest weapons in spiritual battle, and that is worship and prayer. Life is hard enough, so why make it harder by going through this life, which is a constant spiritual battle, without the proper tools? As Christians, we know that we're supposed to be growing more like Jesus. A very tall order because, boy, that flesh is a strong opponent. But hear me out. According to Hebrews 2.17, Jesus suffered temptation just so that he would be made fully like us. That is, having every basic human experience so that he could relate to us when we cry out to him. And by the same token, we can relate to him when we read about what he suffered and how he died for us and why he did it. And so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God so that he could make a precious atonement for our sins and crush them under the weight of the cross that he was crucified on. Don't miss the importance of suffering, my friend. It stinks, but it's the, one of the most horribly beautiful blessings that we have to be able to identify with Christ, our Lord and Savior. We might even say that Jesus was put through every basic human experience possible so that he could say he truly understands our struggles when we pray, so that he could make a connection in this human mind between us and him that it is temptation that leads us to sin every single time. After experiencing this temptation himself, he would then be able to fully and completely obliterate sin by overcoming it both here on earth while he was alive and then, once and for all, when he made the atonement on the cross. That's pretty amazing. But it doesn't stop there. I have more ways to try to hopefully help you understand how amazing this is. So picture this. Jesus gets put through the ringer of human existence in order to identify with us. Willingly, by the way. He could have said no. He did it so that the sacrifice is not merely fully understood by him, but his sacrifice is complete. What I mean by that is that every sin that we would ever commit stems directly from some kind of form of temptation that he faced when the spirit led him to the wilderness. 
But then we, in turn, are supposed to learn to overcome temptation and use Jesus's example to do it in order for us to become more like him. So first he's trying to identify with us and now we're trying to identify with him. But we're not following him blindly into some sort of terrible, sick plan of suffering. No, he's leading us into victory. He's already put down the blueprint. All we have to do is follow it. He's doing this for us as a preparation for heaven and so that we can bring glory to the name of God when we do decide to take that escape and avoid the sin just like Jesus did. Now, what else is interesting is that when Jesus was finished being tempted, the angels came and ministered to him. Did you know that we too are ministered to by the angels? The same care that Jesus received after temptation is available to us as well. Take a look at Hebrews 1.14. It says that the angels are ministering spirits who serve those of us who will inherit salvation. That's us. Now, that's not to say that we should worship angels. That is not the right thing at all. We belong to and worship Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. But we do not worship created beings or creation. That would be a whole different false religion, and we don't want to go there. The point is that, we have access to the comfort of the angels, just like Jesus did after his historic temptation by Satan in the wilderness. Okay, so all of that sounds awesome, but what's the point of suffering? Is the point of it all just so that we can compare our battle scars and stories with Jesus, who was obviously way more equipped to handle the battle than we'll ever be? Or is there some other meaning? I have lived a very storied life. And at some point I might get into one such story that led me to want to make this my first topic of my podcast and even do this podcast in the first place, but that's going to be for a different day if I even decide to do it. Here are a few reasons that God might allow us to suffer. And I'm just going to put a disclaimer here that everyone's circumstance is different. I do not believe that all suffering is a result of sin. Um, there are definitely different reasons. Obviously I'm not God, but I just want to point out a few. I also want to say if you're a new Christian or a weak Christian, these reasons may not bring you much comfort, but for a seasoned Christian, this might bring some comfort and I hope it does. So one of the reasons for suffering is to turn our gaze towards heaven and stop looking around us or to this world to fix the problems that we see or experience. I mean, what's the first thing you do when things start going wrong? After the shock wears off, if you're like most people, you start asking God why, or you start longing for heaven when it gets bad enough. Another reason that we suffer is to learn to have sympathy for other people. I mean, it's difficult to minister to someone who's going through something that we haven't yet suffered ourselves. That's precisely why Jesus allowed himself to be led of the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan, as we've already established. We might also suffer because God wants to teach us something, and that ultimately causes us to reflect God or communicate his message or his love better to other people. Suffering changes people. It's either going to change you for better or for worse. I know people in my life who have suffered great hardships and losses. Some people suffer and get bitter at God, but some people suffer and it brings them a greater understanding about the Lord and helps us grow stronger in our faith. Exactly which way we choose to suffer, horribly or graciously, depends entirely on us and how we decide to think about it. God gives us free will, after all. 
And again, I just want to be careful to make sure that I'm not communicating to you that you can't have feelings amidst your suffering, that you're supposed to suddenly be like, oh, thanks for the suffering. I'm talking about in those moments where you have clarity, those turning points in your grief and stress and struggles. This is the time when we start wondering or should start wondering what is God trying to show us through this whole situation? Anyway, I'm not sure if this is theological or not, but I feel that suffering as a saint does lead us to a better outcome in the end, mentally and spiritually speaking. It usually directs our hearts toward loving and trusting God more than it would for someone who doesn't know the Lord or someone who doesn't believe in God or hates God. But that doesn't mean the pain is any worse or any better for one person or the next. Christians certainly do not get a free pass from suffering. They just work through it differently with the Lord than someone who isn't saved or who is antagonistic towards God. In my own life, I've suffered a lot. I've been saved for 20 years. I've walked the walk. I've talked the talk. I've got the t-shirt, so to speak. I was a church person, but I was not a transformed person and I didn't even know it. It took a long time for God to mold me into who I am today. But nothing taught me more about the mercy, grace, love, wisdom, and care of our Heavenly Father more than suffering did. I'm at the point now where, although I don't necessarily welcome suffering, I at least know that God will be with me through the pain. And how close I feel to Him depends mostly on how close I decide to keep Him. Or that sometimes there are times when God allows for that feeling of distance. Maybe it's a test of faith. Maybe so I can remember what he suffered to save me. Maybe for no reason that I can even understand myself. All I do know is that I no longer despise the trial because I know that I could never experience such fellowship with the Savior as I can now because of the struggle. And I think that's what happened to Jesus too. In his historic temptation by Satan in the wilderness, he fasted and denied his flesh and received God's strength to overcome those temptations by Satan. And of course, the end result we know is that Jesus suffered after that and was crucified for our sins. And now he has ultimate fellowship with God and he was reunited with his deity and place in the Holy Trinity. And that's pretty much what will happen to us as well. Once we have suffered for a little while here on earth, for however long that may be, will be reunited as well with Jesus in glory, where our will will be conformed to his and our fellowship will be perfect with him. And that's really something to look forward to someday. And I can't wait. That's all I have for you guys today. I hope this podcast has helped shed some light on your own life struggles with temptation and suffering. If you have any feedback, questions, or topic ideas, I'd love to hear from you. Unscriptedfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Go ahead and reach out to me with any inquiries or any ideas for upcoming podcasts. I would love to hear if there's even anybody listening. Thank you so much and God bless you guys.